Welcome to the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast, a view of culture, current events, and politics through a biblical lens, with your hosts, Neil Boron, Bob Duco, Roger Marsh, and John Rush. This is part one of a two-part discussion regarding LGBTQ issues. Now let's join the conversation. Well, welcome everybody to the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. And we, as always every week, are joined by John Rush of Rush to Reason out of Denver, Roger Marsh out of Southern California, Neil Boron out of Buffalo, New York, myself, Bob Duco out of Detroit. Gentlemen, how are you today? Morning, Bob. Bob. Doing well. Hey, always great talking with you. Uh, And today's podcast, we're going to talk about a really sensitive hot button issue and actually it's something that we're going to kind of break into two different parts this week and next week because there are a lot of different facets of this discussion and it is the issue of homosexuality uh, the issue of the lgbtq issues and agenda and as christians how do we respond to this uh, in cultural matters in biblical matters and so we're going to dive into this issue over the course of the next couple of weeks uh, between this week and next week and this week we're going to focus more on the cultural aspects and the cultural debate over the whole LGBT issue, but of course it'll be through a Christian lens. Next week, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into the scriptural aspect of this entire discussion and debate. But the first place I want to start with this is this big study that just came out. And this was a study that was released a couple of weeks ago. It was all over the news. It's the largest ever genetic study that has been done looking for the elusive quote-unquote gay gene. And the question is, are people born homosexual? And so what they were looking for, these scientists were looking for some type of genetic predisposition toward homosexuality. And when you read the reports on this, it can be a little bit confusing because depending on who's writing the report, you have some people, the LGBT activists, are saying, hey, this shows that there is, in fact, a genetic predisposition to homosexuality. But if you read through the actual report, it doesn't say that. Uh, it, sh- it shows that there is some linkage to some characteristic and personality traits that tend to be more predominant among homosexuals, but there is no predictive value uh, toward homosexuality genetically, which does suggest that the effort to find a gay gene has in fact failed. But uh, I kind of want to get you guys' thoughts, first of all, on this study and what the significance of the born that way gay gene debate is. And Neil, I kind of want to start with you on this. And Neil Boron, this is something that the the gay groups were desperately hoping that the study would prove conclusively that there was a quote-unquote gay gene. The evidence shows, though, that that's just not what they found. And this is the largest study that's ever been done of this kind. Yeah, full disclosure, I haven't seen the the entire study. What I saw was an article about the study mm-hmm. and some of the summary, you know, of what was found there. Uh, but I think you're right, and I, bottom line is it looks like nothing new under the sun in the sense that everything has to do with the spin of how the liberal media, you know, writes the headline in the local newspaper. There's no new information here, and to date, as far as I know, there's never been any scientific proof put forward that there is such a thing as a gay gene. I mean, they, this, this thing refers to correlation, and even if that exists, it doesn't equate to causality with regard to behavior. So there's there's a lot of loopholes and a lot of questions that, I mean, in other words, I don't know that it answers anything. I think it actually raises more questions. But yeah, I, I don't see anything here that indicates that there's any new discovery that there's a gauging. Well, and that's what I got from the study as well. And uh, Roger, to Neil's point here, it really does show that there is no predictive causality that can be showed genetically, uh, the best thing they can show is some some links, if you will, genetic links to certain types of behaviors or personality traits that tend to be more consistent among homosexuals. Uh, to me, that points more toward an environmental, you know, the nurture versus nature argument. Uh, so the way I'm reading this report, I don't see any way that this feeds the LGBT activists what they were looking for. It certainly doesn't give them the advantage they were looking for. I think the, the idea was that if they had some kind of scientific study that would actually, in fact, say, hey, okay, we now know it's very conclusive. From what I've read of the report, and I, like Neil, have read a couple articles about this, haven't actually read the actual data. 
But what you see in this report is 25% of this is scientifically, okay, we can take a look at this and say, you have a predisposition for this. 75% of it has to do with the culture, the, the influences around you. What kind of home life did you have? What kind of friends did you have? You know, those types of things. And to your point, excellently said, it really becomes a nurture versus nature instead of nature versus nurture. And that's something I think that we've been clubbed over the head with by the LGBTQ community for years. Quote, unquote, the science is settled. You're on the wrong side of history, et cetera, et cetera. This study, which actually surveyed nearly a half a million people, and we're talking right. a lot of these opinion polls, you're talking 500 people, 1,000 people nationwide. Divide that by 50 states. What is this? But this is 470,000 plus peoples in a variety of different countries and asking them real questions about how do you define yourself, but then how have you acted on those desires? And so I think the study is landmark, not from a we're right and you're wrong conversation, but more of a now we have more conclusive evidence based on this study that involves the United States, United Kingdom, Sweden and other countries. And they asked some questions that kind of came up consistent with what we've seen in gay activity here in the States, which is you know, anywhere from two to three to 4% of people have experimented with it. How many of them continue to live that way? A lot of that has to do more with the nurture versus the nature part. So true. And, you know, John Rush, to, to Roger's point here, you know, if I can read from the Reuters news story on this, and Reuters is certainly no, you know, it's not like a conservative Christian media or whatever. Uh, they say, quote, this report shows that non-genetic factors such as environment, upbringing, personality, nurture are far more significant in influencing a person's choice of sexual partner, choice of sexual partner, just as with most other personality, behavioral and physical human traits. The researchers said they go on to say the results published in the journal Science found no clear patterns among genetic variants that could be used to meaningfully predict or identify a person's sexual behavior. So it seems to me this is this is really pretty conclusive. Uh, I don't see where the you're born this way argument can stand. No, and I agree with you guys. I don't think this, you know, DNA chain, if you would, that proves that somebody is gay or, or, or somebody is, you know, has a bent towards a particular lifestyle. And the reality is, and I'm a firm believer that you know, every one of us, you know, all, even the four of us, there's different things that each one of us struggle with. Now, we can go back and say that that's from nurture. We can say it's from, you, you know, all sorts of other factors. But I do believe, and it's just my own personal belief, I can't prove this, but I do believe that each one of us has certain things that we intrinsically struggle with sin-wise. And I do believe homosexuality is just that. I believe it's a sinful lifestyle. Now, I, I believe each one of us has different struggles in the world that we, you know, I'll, I'll just stay, say right now on the front side, I'm a workaholic. That's the biggest thing I struggle with to the point where if I'm not careful, it can affect relationships and other things that go on in my life. And, and again, I think each one of us has different quote unquote sin struggles that we that, you know, the demons, whatever you want to call it, that we fight. And I don't think it's in my DNA. I think in my world, it's just it's a lot in how I was raised. And I think it's very true in the homosexual lifestyle as well. So true. And actually, Neil, I want to ask you about this. So the, the point that John was making, which is a really good point, uh, we all have different fleshly and sinful temptations and desires. We struggle in different areas. One person may struggle with issues of greed. Another person may struggle with issues of lust. Another person with anger issues. Another person with same-sex attraction. I mean, there are different issues and fleshly desires that we all have, but that doesn't mean that we're made that way. That doesn't mean God intends us to be that way. It means that we all have our own crosses to bear and our own fleshly desires that we need to crucify on a daily basis. And the person with same-sex attraction is no different. So I would argue, and I've said this all along, before this study came out, even if it were determined that there was some kind of genetic predisposition to homosexuality, all that means is that our genetic makeup has been flawed since the Garden of Eden, and so therefore we would have different predispositions to different fleshly and sinful temptations and desires. So for some people, it may be more difficult to crucify the flesh in this area than it is that area, but we're all in the same boat. We're sinners, we struggle with fleshly desires, and we need to walk in obedience and not identify ourselves by these desires. So I would argue the, the, the gay gene, whether, even if it had been found, it wouldn't change the sin nature of homosexuality or any of the other sins. Right. You could say, why lead with the issue of homosexuality? I'm not talking about this program, by the way. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying right. in, in conversation with other people, 
I, th- I personally think that we have made too big a deal out of this, the sin of homosexuality because all of us are guilty of sin. Uh, I believe it was Roger who just said that, and I agree 100%. Each of us struggle with sin. All of us have sinned. All of us fall short of the glory of God. That doesn't mean it's not an issue uh, to be looked at in our culture or that we in the church you know, need to determine how we're going to handle situations when they arise. But let me just say, words like transgender and transsexual get thrown around. You know, buckle your seatbelts. God is in the trans business, too. He's in the business of transforming our lives, of taking mm-hmm. us from where we're at and making us into the people he wants us to be. So we're actually all in this together, not just the four of us hosts, but all of us in the body of Christ and all of us who live on this planet, all of us who were created by God, but who are part of the fall. And that applies right. to each and every one of us. Now, and you know what, Neil? That's a very interesting point that you bring up, and that's something I want to talk about with you guys as well. Do we, as believers, tend to hyper-focus on the homosexuality issue? Does it get more attention from us than it deserves? We're going to get to that in just a moment. I want to take a moment right now, though, and encourage everybody to tune into and to support the tremendous ministry of Steve Gregg. Uh, Steve Gregg, host of The Narrow Path. One of the things that's so important to us as believers is we need to look at everything through a biblical lens. We need to develop a biblical worldview in everything in life. And that's the passion, that's the focus of the show, The Narrow Path. Of course, there is one narrow path to salvation, and that's through Jesus Christ alone. Steve Gregg has been a Bible teacher and an author and a minister and a teacher of Scripture and a Christian apologist for decades, for several decades. And his show, The Narrow Path, is an extremely popular show across the country. And I would really encourage you folks to check it out where it's playing near you. Just go to thenarrowpath.com. That's thenarrowpath.com. And you'll see he's got tons of free links and resources, as well as detailed archives of all of his past shows. You can also contact Steve directly at steve at thenarrowpath.com. But it is a listener-supported show, which means I would encourage you not just listening to the show, but actually going to the website and making a donation to support this ministry. Again, it's at thenarrowpath.com. Dot com, and you can make a donation right there to support Steve Gregg in this tremendous ministry. Because we do need to be looking at things through a biblical lens and what is true. And as we talk about the issue of homosexuality, LGBT, of course, the the guys who are on the National Crawford Roundtable podcast, Neil, you brought up that sometimes we talk about homosexuality too much. And let's address that issue because I got to be honest with you, Neil, I'm going to push back a little bit on this. Uh, I do agree that Christians, conservative Christians, that we do talk about the sin of homosexuality more than we talk about other sins. But the truth is, I would argue the reason for that is because homosexuality is the one sin that's being redefined as non-sinful in the church, and it's even being celebrated in the church. Uh, Let's be honest, we don't have adultery-affirming churches. We don't have fornication pride parades yet. Uh, We don't have fornication or drunkenness or greed pride events going on and being held by churches. I expect that out of Hollywood, but I don't expect that in the church. And when I see a growing number of churches and pastors and theologians. And guys, we've all done this. You've debated them too. I've debated countless times on my show, pastors and theologians and Christian authors who are trying to sell that homosexuality is not a sin. Uh, I submit to you, when we see an explosion of so-called adultery or fornication or drunkenness or greed or whatever affirming churches and books on the shelves pushing and promoting that, then you better believe all of us are going to be addressing those issues and correcting it and saying, no, this is not true. This is, in fact, a sin. This does, in fact, require repentance. So, Neil, I got to say, that is the reason why, and I believe it's a justifiable reason why there's more of an emphasis on the issue of homosexuality, not that people with same-sex attraction are somehow worse sinners or that's a worse sinner. I'm not making that claim at all. But it's something that is being falsely sold to the body of Christ as non-sinful. And for that reason, I feel that we need to correct that record. Yeah, and I don't disagree with what you're saying. You're correct. And because of the fact that there's an effort to redefine the entire issue as a non-sin issue, you know, like, and maybe, maybe that's part of the reason there's so much interest in finding a gay gene, because it would then give some kind of an excuse, I would think, as to why people uh, can do things that are, in our minds, uh, an offense to God and to his word. So there's that. But on the other hand, 
uh, I guess the reason to bring it up is because in conversations I've had, and either on my program or just with other believers and, and with people in my community, I think that we make modern-day homosexuals into the lepers of this day, I guess is what I'm trying to say, and that um, I don't really believe that we need to single any group out. I just think that we need to stand for truth, and if that means saying, look it, um, you guys can blur the lines if you want. The Bible calls it sin, and we're going to stand uh, on that truth, being informed not by studies but by the Word of God itself, and so be it. You know, let us take our lumps as they come, because I think, obviously, there's going to be pushback on us. The entire culture seems to be embracing the issue of homosexuality. And then the church uh, is beginning to embrace the concept by saying, well, you know, let's just be loving. Let's not call it sin. But here's the problem. If we don't look at our own sin and lead with the sins that we struggle with, if we're not open and authentic about, then, then the lost and dying world, ultimately, and many of them in there, uh, maybe homosexuals, are going to see that we're hypocrites and that we're unwilling to deal with our own sins. That's, that's my concern, is just that we not be hypocrites by always talking about things that other people are doing. Uh, you know, if you look at Romans 1, and I won't go too far into this because we're going to talk about it in our next podcast, after God throws his hands up and gives people over to, you know, whatever their passions are, just go ahead and do what you're going to do. If you read the list that comes after that, everything in that list I've seen in the local church. Sure. So we're included in Romans 1. It isn't, we love to look at that passage and just say, this applies to homosexuals. No, actually, it applies to everybody, I think. So I, I'm only concerned about feeling self-righteous by saying, hey, look at those horrible lepers over there, those sinners who are homosexuals. Can you believe what they're doing? And now this kind of thing is being accepted in the church. It, it creates a major us-them mentality when, it, when in reality, believers struggle with sin too. That's, I just want to, keep emphasizing yeah, and real quick and neil everything you said I, I fully agree with what you're saying as well the only thing that i want to add to this that guys that i want to make sure that we also remember is when it comes to the political end of things which i know nobody likes to talk about politics but politics affects every one of us and my biggest fear is we've got you know roughly one to two percent of our population in the united states now driving policy that is infiltrating the church as well because that policy yeah. is driving lots of decisions that are made on a daily basis and my fear right. is and this is where i struggle is we've got a very small popula or per, you know, percentage of the population that's now driving what all of us are going to have to do, including businesses. That's my struggle with the homosexual movement. And, and I agree with everything Neil said. I don't think we should treat them as lepers. I don't think we should treat them as outcasts. Right. They're sinners just like I am. But I'm also not taking my sin and driving public policy with it. That's the difference. Yeah, and, and that to me, I'm with you. That's, a, that's a really important point. And, and Roger, I mean, to, to, to John's point here, this is something that... Uh, it does have an effect on our society because when we look at all the other sins, okay, that there are, and yes, we're guilty of them and we need to crucify the flesh, but we don't have public policy being forced in these areas. You don't have Christian business owners that are being required and ordered by the government to bake and design cakes for swingers clubs or for, uh, you know, drunkenness uh, kind of events or to cater a strip club or pornography movies or whatever. You don't see that issue being forced, but you do see the issue of homosexuality being forced upon Christian business owners, being forced upon families and in the schools and things along those lines. And then we see that bleeding into the church and a growing number of Christians saying, well, it's not really a sin. Uh, that to me is the reason why this issue has a, a much is much larger on the radar screen. We just need to make sure not to go to the extreme, as Neil was pointing out, to where we suddenly start uh, pretending that people with same-sex attraction are to be treated differently than any of the rest of us that struggle in our own areas of sin. Right, and, and, and the reality, too, Bob, and I think this is this is also something we need to keep in mind. And I know you guys have met individuals like this as well. I mean, I've had personal friends, people I've known that are gay. Uh, that, that will tell you the exact same thing that I just said, that will say, listen, time out. I mean, I don't need to run around and tell everybody who I'm attracted to or sleeping with or whatever any more than what you do, John. But, the, you know, the reality is my, you know, the people like me are driving, a, a, you know, a political agenda and they're doing things that even I as an individual don't agree with. So it's not like even every single person inside of that movement that has that sinful lifestyle even believes in that movement and what's going on. It's a very, very small number of individuals that have garnered support politically from, from you know, very, you know, Hollywood and other public figures, and they're now able to drive policy over something that we all know shouldn't be there in the first place. Right. No, that's a great point. And I guess one of the things that concerns me, though, and Neil, I want to get your take on this. I've, I've told this to my audience many times. 
I really have a soft spot in my heart for Christians who struggle with same-sex attraction. And the reason for this is because, to the point that we were talking about before, the conflicting message that they're getting inside the church. You see, if a Christian, if any one of us struggle with pornography or lust or greed or gambling or alcoholism or you know, go on down the list, or if we struggle in any of those areas, uh, we know we have Hollywood telling us, hey, this is, this is who you are, live it out, there's nothing wrong with it. But we don't have the church across the street doing that. However, when you have a Christian with same-sex attraction, yes, Hollywood and culture and society is telling him, hey, this is who you are, you need to live this out, there's nothing wrong with it. But they also have the church across the street saying, hey, that's who you are, that's how God made you, uh, go ahead and live it out, it's not sinful. And so you have Hollywood whispering in one ear and the church across the street whispering in the other ear, and that's a terribly confusing message for, for, for a lot of Christians who, who are now getting it from both sides, including from within the church. And that's one of the reasons why I feel like we must address this issue truthfully and scripturally, even if it means we spend more time on this than we do the other sins, uh, Neil, because it, it is important. We all have a biblical worldview, and we all agree on that on all of this. Yeah, uh, and once again, it underscores how messy life can be. So thank yeah. God for the Word of God, which gives us some direction. By the way, before I go on, let me just thank uh, Pastor Alistair Begg. Many of you who are listening know the name Pastor Alistair Begg. He's the host of Truth For Life. You know, when it comes to issues like this, understanding God's Word is vital. (laughs) And although we don't understand it perfectly, we are growing in our knowledge and understanding of the Word of God. And if you enjoy studying God's Word, really, honestly, on a verse-by-verse basis, you can do so every single day with Alistair Begg on Truth For Life. And if you're not familiar with the ministry, I encourage you to check it out at truthforlife.org. That's truthforlife.org. He's all about helping us to understand God's Word so that our lives can be transformed. Check it out, truthforlife.org, or call 888-588-7884. You know, if you connect with those folks, tell them you listen to the Crawford Broadcasting Company radio station in your market and identify which one it is, or tell them that you heard about uh, them on this NCR, National Crawford Roundtable broadcast. To get back to it, uh, obviously the world is looking for, I, I think the word excuse comes to mind, you know, that the obsession with these kind of studies that we were talking about earlier is that people are looking for a way to say, hey, you know, you can't come after us anymore. We are born this way. Uh, God made me this way. And obviously that's kind of seeped into the church as well. We have to hold our ground. I mean, here's the thing. What if, what if science um, for some reason could prove a, a, a genetic predisposition to, to suicide, right? Or to child abuse, would we say, listen, man, let's just celebrate it. Let's embrace it. Let's just embrace this new finding. Let's embrace the fact that people are, are born with a predisposition to take their own life or to abuse a child. We wouldn't do that because it's wrong. Uh, and where do we get the idea that it's wrong? From, you know, the Word of God. And, and it's been the basis for all morality on the planet since it was given to us. And mm-hmm. so... I don't know. I just uh, I think that as believers, we need to care deeply about what the Word of God says. Wade into the mess, which is called this life. Hold our nose at times if we have to, but recognize that we're part of this thing. Like we right. we struggle too, and we're going to have to hold our ground at times. People will hate us. Jesus said, "You know, don't be surprised when men revile you and hate you and say all manner of evil against you falsely on account of me." And when that happens, rejoice. So. In some sense, while it's going to be a difficult road to walk, I think we need to accept the fact that this is part of the journey of what it means to be a Christian and to wrestle for truth and righteousness, which we ourselves don't fully understand. Mm, Well said. And John, let me ask you about something that's really hot in the news as it relates to this issue. As Neil was saying, uh, people will hate us. And we are accused, of course, of hate very often. And I think that's an unfair perception. I don't hate people with same-sex attraction any more than I hate myself for my own sins and struggles, okay? so it, But the issue of the, the Christian business owner being forced to, whether it's bake the gay wedding cake or cater the homosexual or lesbian wedding or be a photographer for this event or whatever, you do have Christians who are defying this and saying, well, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to bake the gay wedding cake that goes against my beliefs. I've had people claim and call into my show that they say, hey, Bob, you know, this is really a bad witness. Why not go ahead and bake the cake? It makes us look like we're discriminating and such. And I we are. I don't, I, you, know, you say that we are discriminating? Yes. Okay. Yes, we are. 
and, and, I'll, and I'll tell you guys why. Every single person on this planet every single day discriminates against something. Mm-hmm. People are discriminating right now on what program they're going to listen to. Are they going to listen to the National Crawford Roundtable podcast or are they going to listen to some other podcast? We discriminate every single day. And if people think for a second that we don't, they're crazy because we do. And businesses, businesses by the way, guys, do this daily in the choice of customers we choose to service. I do it in my business every single solid day. I have what I consider to be my prime target customer I'm going to go after, and I have customers I don't want. That's business, guys. That's that's just, dis- and it is discrimination. Call it what it is. There's no sense in candy coating it. We discriminate every single day. All right, now what we got to determine, John, is is it justifiable discrimination or not. And so let's dive into that as we talk in the second half of this discussion. We're going to take that into the second half of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. And by the way, folks, you can get this podcast at Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or from wherever you get your podcast. You can also find it online at CrawfordBroadcasting.com. John, I agree with you completely. We all discriminate. And by the way, discrimination is not a bad word. It depends on how it's used and and, and the way that it's done. Everybody understands. And and Roger, let me get your take on this. Everybody understands it. No one is going to expect a, we'll say, Muslim deli owner to have to cater a pig roast. Nobody's going to expect a Muslim web designer to have to be forced by the government to design Muhammad is a false prophet dot com. No one would expect that. No one would expect and demand a business owned by, we'll say a print shop owned by a homosexual. No one would expect that the government will force that person to to create posters for, you know, I don't know, a, a quote unquote gay conversion conference, which I don't believe in that terminology anyway, but everybody understands that, that we have a right to say, well, no, I'm not going to use my skills and my talents to promote something that violates my deeply held beliefs. It seems to me Christians are entitled to that very same protection that everybody else has uh, to discriminate in an appropriate way in that way. That doesn't mean they're not serving gay customers. All of these businesses serve plenty of gay customers. They're just not going to use their skills and talents to design and create something for an event that violates their beliefs. And, And you would think that the press would at least honestly acknowledge that. Well, they would have to be honest if they were going to acknowledge that. True. Bob, but you make an excellent point. And I think to what Neil and John have been uh, sharing on this this issue, too, the guy who I hold up right now as my poster child for how do you deal with this kind of situation is Jack Phillips at Masterpiece yeah. Cake Shop. Right. I mean, this is a guy who, John, you know him well. I've been to his yes. shop before and had a chance to talk to him. He is the nicest, sweetest, kindest guy you'd ever meet. The fact that he looked like an easy mark for the Colorado so-called Human Rights Commission and they went after him, even when same-sex, quote-unquote, marriage wasn't legal in Colorado. These two guys wanted to have him do a cake for a reception. And the thing that I admire about Jack and the folks at Alliance Defending Freedom, who did such a great job of helping him in this case, two things. First and foremost, when it came to how they handled the press, they made it very, very clear that they stayed on point. Jack, in and of himself, needed a lot of coaching and a lot of encouragement because He's getting phone calls. He's getting emails. He's getting death threats all the time. That's not what Jack Phillips is. Jack Phillips is an artist who likes to decorate cakes. I mean, that's what he does. Secondly, they gave the Christians, I mean, they gave us in the body of Christ a primer for the world that we actually live in. And it kind of pulled back the veneer of America, the beautiful God and country, and our values are the dominant issue here. Now, we we have to understand that not even post-Christian America, I think we're an anti-Christian America where now we are seen as an anathema and an anomaly, we're the problem to most of mainstream America. So they'll take a Baron L. Stutzman at, at Arlene's Flowers in Washington State. They'll take a Jack Phillips and try to, quote unquote, make an example of them. And even though Jack won his case at the Supreme Court, two challenges have come up to that since then, which have since been dismissed. But ADF and the folks who are representing him legally had to give us new language, said, look, Jack will serve anybody doesn't matter what your sexual orientation is. But when it comes to decorating a cake, he's an artist and First Amendment, you know, these are all things that we probably wouldn't have thought of. We would have said, he's a Christian. Why should he have mm-hmm. to make a cake for a gay wedding if he doesn't support it? We have to learn how to speak the language of the culture now the way Jack did. And ironically, not the, the first part, the second part is the tone in which he confronted those who attacked him. Uh, the fact that he literally kept his head 
through all of this. I mean, literally didn't blow his witness, didn't fly off the handle. Uh, from what I've understood, uh, one of his nephews actually watched him go through this whole ordeal and gave his life to Christ because he thought, mm. shoot, if, if this is how Uncle Jack is handling himself with his faith. You know, it's it's that kind of uh, you know Kipling issue. You know, if you can keep your head when all those others around you <laughs> are losing it, um, that that's something that we in the body of Christ have to remember that this is such an emotional issue for a lot of people. They'll say, "Look, this is the way I feel," and that's a fact. So that's driving a lot of their ideology too. So we have to be able to stand in that gap and say, "Look, okay, we know what the Word of God says. We can stand firm on that, but we can also be very gracious and compassionate." And tell the truth at the same time. To John's point, we, we are very discriminating. Everybody discriminates. I mean, but that term in American culture, you start thinking about the civil rights movement of the 60s and discrimination against women. And we, so it has kind of a bad taste in the public's uh, you know, mouth, if you will. So that's right. I, it's key. The, the, the Jack is kind of my poster child right now. He's my hero in that regard. Neil, what yeah, should Christian quick, Roger, do? And, yeah, and go ahead, and real quick, I just want to say, yeah, guys, John. that what we've done, and Roger, you're correct, we have turned the word discrimination into a negative, into a bad word, when in fact it's not. It can be used in a very positive light. I mean, we as Christians discriminate constantly. I mean, you discriminated against every woman in the world except for the one you married. I mean, there's all sorts of things that we just... <laughs> well, we did them a favor. We did all, every other woman yeah. a favor. <laughs> you know, I mean, but, but you, get my, you get my point. We, we've taken that term... And we've made it negative when, in fact, it's not necessarily negative. It's just the choices we make on a daily basis as human beings. Right. So true. Neil, what do uh, what do Christian business owners do, though, in a case like this? What do we do with those Christians who say, just go ahead and bake the gay wedding cake. Just go ahead and do it. So what? Otherwise, you're looking like a bad witness uh, when you because I've, I've had listeners. We've all had them that make that argument and say, isn't this an opportunity to, to, to shine the light of Christ by going ahead and participating in this as opposed to taking a stand? How, how do you look at that? Well, I, I look at it this way, that I think he was hearing from God and did what he thought he should do in that moment. And I, I think he's a hero as well. And I think that the rest of the, us in the body of Christ ought to learn from him. I mean, if, right. if uh, you know, staying on point, and tone matter in describing why we're taking a stand for something. Let's learn from that. Let's move ahead and make those kind of decisions. But I would also say, and I can't honestly personally think of an, an example, but let's say that down the road, he feels compelled to, to go ahead and do what he just chose not to do and feels that, that for some reason the Lord has shown him to do it. I don't think the rest of us in the body of Christ ought to stand back and go, hey, wait a minute, man. Like, like we need you to, to toe the line here because... Um, Using the, the gay wedding cake kind of thing as an example is perhaps a bad example, but, you know, um, I just believe that we need to be hearing from God's Holy Spirit on any particular issue at any given time. I'll give you an example. The right. Pulse nightclub in Orlando. If you're uh, a first responder, do you say, I'm not going to go in and rescue people that are being killed by a mass murderer because there's gay people in there? Of course, of course not. not. Right. So, but but would would you frequent the place? Would you spend your dollars there? Probably not. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if we call that situational ethics. You guys are way smarter than me, but I'm just saying, like, uh, I think that there are times when we really have to be sensitive and recognize there is no handbook on stuff like this. I no, think not. he was hearing from God, and he, and he did. He boldly stood for his conviction and what God was showing him to do, and I, I honestly believe that there were a whole lot of people paying attention on both sides of mm -hmm, this yeah. issue. I think the church yeah. learned from him, but I also think an awful lot of people in the gay community said, hey, uh, maybe maybe we've judged this guy wrong, because just listen right. to him. He doesn't sound like he yeah. hates us. I know. And, and I think, you know, real quick, guys, I think the, the business community also, Neil, learned a lot in that. And what I mean by that is, you know, the business community learned that, listen, you know, I, I can, I should be even maybe selective on some of the things that I'm involved in if I'm a Christian businessman. And it's funny, all the guys that, uh, that you guys interview, and I'm the same way, the people that will call in and say that as a Christian businessman or businesswoman, you should have done X, you should have built, you know, you should have made the cake. It's funny, guys, that only the only people that I ever hear from that tell me that are non-owners. They, they don't own a business. Right. They've never even run right. into that. And it, and it just cracks me up. I mean, I've owned a business since I was 22 years of age. I know exactly what Jack goes through when, when things like that come up. And, and it just it just floors me, the people that say, well, he should have made it, but yet they've never even opened a cash register in their entire life. They don't have a clue what they're talking about. Oh, I know. I know. And you, know, you mentioned, Neil mentioned the uh, Pulse nightclub. 
Of course, any one of us would rush in there and help the people that were in there. We, we were all, I mean, on our shows, we were encouraging people to pray for the, the victims and for those who are, and show the love of Christ, absolutely. But if you ask me to promote and endorse and encourage, we'll say as an advertising partner, a gay nightclub to try to encourage people to go there, or if you ask a Christian business owner to design a website to try to promote and encourage people to uh, celebrate, well then, no, I'm not going to use my skills and my talents for the purpose of furthering and promoting something that I disagree with, but the individuals are individuals that God loves made in his image and likeness, and we need to show love for them and compassion and caring and help them just as much as we would anybody else. So it's important people understand the distinction, and you guys are laying this out very clearly, uh, the distinction between uh, showing hatred towards somebody versus not being forced to use our skills and talents in a way that dishonors God. And that's why I agree with you guys. I think that Jack Phillips is an absolute hero here. And and Bob, going one step further, even all of us as talk show hosts, there are certain things that, you know, inside of our our Crawford family, there are things that as a host, we have to get behind before an advertiser, and Bob, you just talked about it a moment ago, before an advertiser will even come on any of our programs. And I've been approached, uh, you know, many times in the past about certain advertisers where, you know, if it's not something I feel comfortable with, and it's, you know, me personally as a Christian, if it's something I'm not in favor of, and, and fortunately, Crawford gives us the ability to say, no, I'm comfortable mm-hmm. with seeing, you know, said business. And, and, and I appreciate that because that, again, we, we're talking about discrimination. That's exactly what we're doing there. Now, I, I have to be careful how I use that because, again, that's a negative term, which I don't believe it should be. But we as hosts, we discriminate even in that realm on a, on a regular basis and should be allowed to. Right. No, actually, well, you know, one of the aspects of this, too, and the the whole gay wedding cake issue, one of the things that gets lost, though, is I do believe that it's grossly inappropriate for a lot of the members of the LGBT community, not all of them, certainly, but many of them, to deliberately be targeting these businesses because, you yes, know, they do do that. They, they contact yeah, the business, a Christian-owned business. Let's go in there. Let's set them up. Let's, let's order a gay wedding cake or whatever. And then when they turn us down, let's launch a social media campaign against them. Let's contact the quote-unquote Human Rights Commission or Civil Rights Commission, and let's try to smear and damage and destroy them. And I, I, I was saying thinking about this a little bit, and I, I shared this with, with my audience. You know, I have my apologetics materials that I sell, and, and I have a company that produces and manufactures them and puts them together. Well, one of the topics in my, my Top 10 Proof series is Top 10 Proofs Regarding Islam, and it gives the false arguments regarding Islam to show Jesus is the only truth and Islam is a false religion. Kind of controversial. Okay, fine. But the company that bought the production company that made those was Muslim-owned. And I can't even imagine me going to them and demanding, you better produce these for me or I'm going to sue you and try to destroy you financially. I actually went to them first, introduced myself and said, listen, I want you to know that one of the topics in here might be offensive to you. And if you don't want my business, I understand that I'm not going to be offended. And he said, no, I'm happy to do it. And I said, well, you know what? I'm happy to work with you. And we work together well. Uh, So Mm -hmm. it it seems to me that's the right approach. And we do need to acknowledge that there are some LGBT members that are unfairly and viciously attacking and targeting Christian businesses. Agree. So can I just jump in real quick and say this? I love what the, the word forced was used earlier. And there's a lot of conversation we could have about that, because obviously that's where we need to stand up and say, listen, uh, some of the stuff you're talking about here, you will not be teaching it to my children, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Or yes. um, the, the issue of, um, well, I, let me just say that I think our, our motivation in deciding how we're going to address these issues should be based in love. So uh, that doesn't mean that we're tolerant of everything or that we... Um, we uh, you know, get behind everything and promote everything, but the idea that we are driven by love, I think, really matters. And Bob, what you just described is really powerful because you were saying, "Listen, I want to prefer, I want to prefer this brother in love, even though he may be losing my business. I want him to know that what what I'm, you know, what I've put together here may be offensive to him." And kudos to you for doing that. I love that story. Well, uh, Roger, this is something that uh, all of us as believers, we we need to recognize that we have a responsibility for the way that we conduct ourselves. But I, I think it's okay also for us to kind of expect that people in society behave with 
human dignity and decency. And, and I, I think we need to recognize that Christian businesses are being targeted in an inappropriate way. And we need to stand up and fight for those businesses. We need to applaud people like Jack Phillips when they take a stand and not throw them under the bus. You know, it's, it's in the culture as it continues to change. One of the things that we have to recognize, of course, is we're all talking about this, you know, the, whether it's discrimination issues or things like that. It all begins with God's word and God's salvation for our lives. And I was talking with Dr. Michael Youssef of Leading the Way about this very issue yesterday and the fact that God gave him a vision at the age of 18 when he was still living in Egypt and saying, you know, I, I've got this great ministry for you. And here he is now at age 71. He's still doing it. I mean, more than 30 years ago, the, the television and radio ministry of Leading the way was begun. And the whole mission was equipping the saints and seeking the lost. And so equipping us for the issues like the one we're talking about today, but also seeking those who are lost, especially those who are dealing with that very issue of uh, whether it's uh, same-sex attraction or, or whatever it is. And now they are just celebrating their 10th anniversary of their kingdom sat uh, satellite network to the Islamic world in the Middle East. 190 million people are watching this each and every week. It's just a remarkable ministry, and we are grateful to be partnering with Dr. Michael Youssef and leading the way here at Crawford Broadcasting. You can go to ltw.org, and you can learn more about the ministry. You can donate there. You can listen to any of the podcasts, and and when you do contact them through ltw.org, make sure you indicate that you heard about the ministry uh, because you heard us talking about them here on the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. Guys, this has been such a fascinating fascinating conversation with regard to this issue because I think something that we have to acknowledge too is it's no longer anecdotal. You know, for us, we can have these conversations online. We can have these discussions amongst ourselves. And I and I think one of the things that we model here on this program, I mean, not to pat ourselves in the back, but I'll pat you guys in the back and I'm just part of it, is the fact that the tone that we take here, first of all, it's biblical, it's loving, but also, you know, with an, an issue like these things, each of us has had encounters, you know, with people who are dealing with this. Now, I spent a good hour at church uh, after the worship service this past Sunday with a guy who was visiting, but I knew him because I know the church he goes to on a regular basis. And he was sharing the fact that this issue of transgenderism had hit their congregation. Uh, there's a family there that has a couple of kids that are, you know, literally in transition. And we were talking about the, you know, well, how do you talk to them? You know, what do you say? And it was a very, very helpful conversation, but it kind of reminded me as much as we talk about the things here, and I want to encourage our listeners to our podcast, this is something that we in the body of Christ are now confronted with. I mean, back in 2008 in California, we had the uh, uh, the, the, the election for whether or not we were going to have a constitutional amendment to the state constitution defining marriage as between a man and a woman. And most Christians, when they'd say, I'm voting yes, well, why are you voting yes to support this? It was to say, because the Bible says so. And that was it. And I thought, wow, mm. if I were gay and I was listening to something like that, I'd say, well, I don't believe in your Bible. So now what? Now what right. do you have? And all of these issues, I think, have been really helpful for us in the body of Christ to be able to try to give language to some of this dialogue, understanding, of course, that in the garden, we weren't supposed to have this conversation. We didn't need it. Everything was perfect. Mm. So there are a lot of things that we're trying to give language to and have discussion about that we really have to learn because we're not wired that way to have that dialogue. Let me ask you guys about something, a, a real-life issue that I know we have listeners to us right now that face this in their families. Uh, what does a Christian do when they get the invitation to the quote-unquote gay wedding? Uh, it's a gay wedding, we'll say, of a coworker. You want to be a, a good witness and you don't want to break down communication with the person. But at the same time, do you really want to put the stamp of approval and endorsement on that? And then from the moment of coworker, what happens when it starts getting deeper and deeper into your inner circle? Okay, well, then what about a friend? All right. Well, uh, what about a relative then? What about when your uncle or your cousin or your brother or your sister? And here we go. Moms and dads. What, what happens when it's one of your own children? Uh, how do we and let's just throw this out on the table, roundtable discussion. How do we handle this issue and where do we draw that line? And what is the hill that we need to die on? And when does the do more damage uh, line get crossed? Uh, and where does the inappropriate compromise line get crossed? I'll level with you folks. I'm not sure that this is clearly cut and dry. It, it's a difficult issue, especially when you start getting closer and closer to the vest, like your own family, even potentially your own children. What are Christians kneel to do in a case like this? 
you use the word kneel. We're to kneel on the floor and pray. Okay. <laughs> yeah, just so you honestly, know, Neil. <laughs> uh, I wasn't thinking K any, but that's all right. <laughs> I know, but you know, when my wife and I, whose name is Mary, got married, we got to yeah. the altar, and the pastor said, "Can I ask you to kneel and marry, please?" And uh, you know, <laughs> that actually oh. happened. It actually happened. Wow. No, but when you said that, like, what's a Christian? What would you guys do if you get invited to a gay wedding? You know, uh, and that was the first thing that crossed my mind. I'd, I'd hit the floor and say, Lord, what do, what do you want me to do? I lack wisdom. Show me what I'm supposed to do in this case. But I would tell you that my inclination, and, and this is because of horror stories I've heard about people that made rash decisions emotionally, probably not having spent a great deal of time in prayer um, and decided, you know, I actually know a guy whose daughter got married and he was upset because she held the hand of her boyfriend or her fiance before they got married and there was to be a no-touching policy. Hmm. By the way, they were... Um, they were sort of disciples of the Josh Harris, I Kiss Dating Goodbye mm-hmm. movement. And, and so he didn't go to his daughter's wedding and regrets it to this day. So yes. in a similar way, I can imagine people just having a knee-jerk reaction saying, a gay wedding? No way, I'm not going. But I think that we really need to ask God, what are we supposed to do? Personally, I'm an ordained minister. I feel zero sense of conviction to conduct a, day, uh, a gay wedding. And I, and I pray that God never leads me otherwise. I, I don't believe I'm to have any part in conducting a gay wedding. But the idea of attending one to show love, uh, I'd be more inclined to be open to that and probably would go unless God said no. And I I think that I'd really have to examine my heart and the circumstances and decide on a case-by-case basis. John? I am, uh, I'm not an ordained minister. I'm just, uh, you know, I'm just, you know, regular Joe business guy here. So I I don't have to uh, ever... Uh, you know, do what Neil's having to do when it comes to officiating one. I will say this. Uh, I think personally speaking, it has to do with how close you are to those individuals. And I like Neil, I I have heard some of those stories as well, where people have not gone and have wished later on down the road that they had. Uh, It causes so much more division down the road that, that, that frankly, in my world, as much as it would be painful and you would not want to go and it's something that you would not want to experience the reality is personally speaking um i think at this point yeah i I would go and and i would have to look at it as far as how far removed are those individuals and i'm not a big wedding guy in the first place guys so frankly it takes a lot to get me to go to one anyways even if it's just a uh, if it's a distance a distant friend i'm not going period gay or not it's just not something i enjoy doing so i'm probably not going if they're that far from me anyways but as they get closer to the vest yes i will just tell you right now i don't even need to pray about it i i've already thought this out i will go i know the horror stories of individuals that have chosen the other and and i don't think it's worth that i I don't think you're going to garner any type of influence over those individuals by staying away roger you know it's interesting because neil and i have similar backgrounds so he's probably got way more seminary training than i do but we are both licensed to do this type of thing and i've never been approached so i mean in terms of from that's the officiating start standpoint i don't have to but i remember sitting in an office one day with a pastor friend of mine in town who had that very issue where he said look there's one of my parishioners she's an elderly woman her daughter joined the military and while she was in the military she decided to transition and become a man and she met a woman and they want to get married and not only do they want me to come but they're looking for someone to do the wedding would you do the ceremony and he really wrestled with it because it just really rocked his world you know what what am i supposed to do uh we agreed and we prayed and he agreed that it wasn't right for him to officiate but then he told grandma i said look if you feel like you need to go she said yeah the whole family's abandoned this person and she said i'm the only one that she he still keeps in contact with I'm going to go. Well, it turned out the engagement broke off, but she was determined to say, "I look, I, I don't approve of what you're doing, but I love you and I will be mm-hmm. there for you. I, I had another friend too. And again, I'm not answering your question directly, but just giving some examples. Um, another friend who said he and his wife prayed through an issue like that. And they went to the reception. They didn't go to the wedding. They didn't feel like they could be part of a thing where a pastor was going to say, I join you in the eyes of God. But if you're having a reception afterwards, we'll come and, you know, we want to let you know that we care for you and we want to stay in relationship. I think to to everyone's point, the key we have to look at is play the long game and ask the question, are you going to become an object of permanent blame and ridicule? Are you going to shut a door there? And you really just have to trust God and what he says in terms of, I want you there. We go to weddings that are less than godly all the time. I mean, when you get right down to it, I mean, people do all sorts of crazy things in weddings, in mm-hmm. churches and outside of weddings or, and outside of churches. And we'll go and say, well, that's just them. But I went anyway. So, I mean, that's we kind of have to weigh that great in. Point, as far Roger, as great point, Roger. Great point, yeah, you it, just it, made, Eric. 
No, it, it, it is a it is a tough it is a tough situation, and by all means, we desperately need the guidance of the Holy Spirit in decisions like this. I, you know, I'll level with you, folks. I there's no way in the world I could officiate, of course. Uh, well, I'm not a licensed minister, so I couldn't anyway. But I don't think I could participate in that. I couldn't stand in the wedding. I couldn't be one of the ushers or something along those lines. Uh, and the question becomes, even sitting in the, in a pew in the back somewhere, is that participating in it? I'll level with you. I would be more comfortable going to the reception than participating in any way in the ceremony itself, only because... Uh, God placed such an emphasis on the covenant of marriage and defining it between one man and one woman. And But I, I do know this, if, if there were a wedding that I was not going to attend, uh, if that person was close enough to the vest that that could be offensive to them, I think it would be very important to have that conversation with them and say, look, I hope that this will not affect our friendship and affect how much you understand that I love you and care for you and consider you my friend or my whatever. And I hope that we can kind of have that mutual respect. Ideally, you have enough of a relationship with the person that, that they would then also understand and respect that they wouldn't try to force you to do something that you might be uncomfortable with. And as long as that's just discussed and not treated in a flippant, disrespectful way, but by all means through the certainly the direction of the Holy Spirit. And uh, I mean, John, John Rush, this is a this is a difficult thing, and we're getting ready to shift our discussion toward the end of this podcast toward the whole issue of transgenderism, which I know is very difficult as as well. But this is where, as believers, we have to address all of these tough issues head on. We do. And real quick, Dr. James Dobson, by the way, when it comes to the topics that we're covering right now, he is somebody that, if you listen to his program, he talks about these things on a very regular basis because he is out to preserve and promote the biblical family. That's what he does. We at Crawford Broadcasting partner with them. You can go to drjamesdobson.org and find out more about how to listen to the program, how to partner with them. And again, guys, I've said this before, but I've listened to Dr. Dobson for many, many years, got lots of great parenting tips over the years from, from him. And the reality is that there's probably, I mean, there's a lot of experts in the field. But let me just say this. He is one of the top-notch individuals when it comes to the things that we're talking about and is also one of the most genuinely nice individuals you'll ever meet. He loves people and he approaches things in such a common sense way that he's very very easy to listen to so again folks i encourage you listen to the family talk it's something that's on crawford broadcasting on a routine basis find more about it by going to drjamesdobson.org and when you do please reference the national crawford roundtable and bob back to the the next topic which i know we're going to talk about is transgenderism and whether it's that whether it's homosexuality i do want to say this i like what roger said a moment ago we all will attend weddings where, you know, we may even know that the bride is, is pregnant, which, you know, there's, that's a whole other topic all in and of itself, which we're not going to get into. But, you know, frankly, that's not what we as Christians believe in either. And yet we'll attend those weddings. We'll attend weddings where there's things going on that we do not agree with, even inside of our own families. And yet we attend those. And yet when this homosexual thing comes up, it becomes such a big deal that all of us actually, you know, to Neil's point, we kneel, we pray, we do different things when it comes to that. And you have to wonder, are we doing the other ones the right way? Are we doing that one the wrong way? And, and guys, none of this is easy. None of this is cut and dried. And I think the other thing that we have to be careful of as Christians is something that I have to be careful of personally is not making my views and what I feel about something pushing them upon everybody else that's a believer because you know what they may have a different conviction and a different yes. stand on it than i do mm-hmm. and that's okay and i have to be careful to not you know force what i believe upon everyone else even inside of the christian community right can i just i gotta jump in quick and say that i think people who are gay who are skeptical about where we stand as believers on these kind of issues don't trust what you just said but as we as we have relationship and convey love in whatever way that we can. Like we are talking about Jack Phillips earlier. I think he's one of the most loving people, even though he took a firm stand. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, ideas begin to turn around because uh, I'll give an example, and I got to do this quickly, obviously, but I officiated a wedding of a former coworker here at, at uh, WDCX in Buffalo, uh, a woman who had been uh, a lesbian, gave her life to Christ. God transformed her heart, and her testimony is that she... Uh, 
was getting married and and that God had done a tremendous work in her life. When everybody stood up on, on the on the groom's side, there was five men standing up. On the female side, there was four women and a man who was listed in the in the program book as a bridesman, bridesman, not a, a bridesmaid. Um, but he himself is a new believer who, on the testimony of the woman getting married, this is over the course of a couple of years, uh, has de- this determined to give his life to Christ. He mm. hasn't broken off his gay relationship yet, but God's in process. And I can just tell you, 20 years ago, I would have never officiated that wedding. But I was watching the hand of God at work, and I chose prayerfully to say, this is something I need to be a part of. God is working here, and this is not in my comfort zone, generally speaking. But I do believe that, uh, you know, we need, if, if another pastor was making it, I shouldn't be telling him he shouldn't or that he should. He needs to hear from God about, you know, what his role is to be. And, and that's what I did in my case, so I'd hope others would extend the same courtesy. Well said. Well said. Mm, uh, very good. Yeah. Let's, yeah. let's dive into, for our last few minutes here the the issue of transgenderism specifically though it's amazing to me gentlemen how how big this issue has become and how it's being promoted to the the level and and degree that it is and we now have men who are identifying as women the the media and the culture around us now says that this is in fact a woman when the truth is scientifically and biblically, this is not a woman, this is, this is a man. But even my saying those words is perceived as hate speech somehow. Uh, but unfortunately, we're encouraging our children, even we're introducing gender confusion to them. We have a growing number of schools where children are actually being taught, hey, you might not be a boy, you might really be a girl in a boy's body. And so gender confusion is being introduced. We shouldn't be surprised we're seeing more and more adults going down this road as well. Uh, And it seems to me this is another area where lovingly and with the love of Christ, we need to speak the truth. And to to the point, you know, Neil was making there, uh, John, this is something that it can be a tricky road to walk, to walk sometimes because we don't want to be perceived as hate-mongering bigots, but we must speak the truth. No, no, and, and I fully agree. And I think that the issue that I have, especially on the transgenderism thing, even more so than homosexuality, is what we're having to do now in our school systems and how right. we're forcing this belief system, you know, throughout our education system, all the way down into, you know, first grade, second grade, third grade here in Colorado, it's a big deal right now. And we're trying to fight against it as much as we can, but it's becoming a very big deal. And, and I just, and, and this is my struggle. And I've talked to enough people and I've interviewed enough people to where I feel like, and I know I'm going to step on toes in saying this, but I feel like transgenderism is a mental illness. I think there's something going on in a person's mind, in their brain. They're wrapping around this situation of trying to figure out, am I a man or a woman? And, and frankly, guys, this isn't that hard to figure out. We have body parts to explain what we are. This is not that difficult. We're right. making it difficult because of sin and culture and what's going on in our world today and we're forcing this upon our young people and they're becoming more confused and it's now running rampant and never should have got to this point in the first place and frankly i almost have to blame the church for this if we'd have done our part in the first place we wouldn't be here yeah so true and the fact is that no one is going to look at someone who will say is anorexic and deny that that person doesn't think and feel that they're overweight. They are. Mm-hmm. But it would be reckless and careless for us to say, well, then that is that is who you are. You really are overweight. You need to go on a diet. No, that, that doesn't help that person. We need to speak truth to them. A child who puts a cape on and thinks he can fly, parents aren't going to say, well, then you can fly. You are a bird. Let's take you up to the roof and let you jump off. Nobody's going to do this. We speak truth to people, but for some reason, this transgenderism issue, we've bought into this lie that you can change your gender uh, by your feelings. And the simple fact is, you know, I'm a 58-year-old white guy who's six feet tall. It doesn't matter if I believe I'm a different ethnicity or if I believe I'm a different age. Sometimes I feel like I'm 75, uh, but that doesn't mean I'm entitled to Social Security because that's new my new age identity. So we've got to we've got to be able to speak the truth, but we need to do this certainly in a loving way and stand on the authority of what Scripture says and what science says and protect our kids, quite frankly. I don't think anybody's little girl should have to shower or be in the locker rooms in a state of undress with with a man who identifies himself as a woman, and that's not a hateful thing to say. I know that there's a, a lot on this that we can continue talking about. Next week, we're going to move into part two 
of this detailed discussion on homosexuality, LGBT issues. Next week, we're going to focus on the more deeply biblical and scriptural aspects of how we view the whole issue of homosexuality. What does the Bible say? What did Jesus himself uh, teach about this? And are there some ways that we can examine scripturally Uh, the right way to approach this in culture. So that'll be next week on part two of this issue as we close down this episode of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. And uh, on behalf of John Rush of Rush to Reason out of Denver, Roger Marsh from the bottom line in Southern California, Neil Boron, Neil Boron Live out of Buffalo, New York, myself, Bob Duco out of Detroit, Gentlemen, it's always great catching up with you. Thank you so much. Look forward to continuing this discussion next week. This has been the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast, a biblical view of culture, current events, and politics. Thank you for joining us. Download and subscribe to the podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. National Crawford Roundtable Podcast returns with a new discussion each week. Be sure to watch for the notification on your podcast app. This has been a Crawford Broadcasting Company production.